Our communion meditation is from Jonah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to open our ears, open our minds to understand, and we pray for insight into your word. We thank you, Lord, for your many blessings upon us. And uh, first and foremost, the gift of Christ, uh, both on the cross and in our word. We thank you in his name. Amen. I created an outline of Jonah before I started this series, and I alter it from time to time, and I altered it for this uh, verse. I read from 4 through 8, but I'm only going to speak to verse 7 about this casting of lots. And casting of lots is something that is, I think, common in any culture, and it's common in ours. And Yet, it is biblical. It is biblical to cast lots. And so we'll actually go through uh, instances of where we're directed to cast lots and where we have cast lots. Uh, Joshua, for instance, as he's dividing up the land amongst the remaining tribes, uh, he casts lots. He had all the surveys done. He had the remaining tribes. He had the lots. And then he just chose the lots and gave the land to the tribe that the lot came up for. This was the means that Joshua chose in order to distribute this land. Uh, various things do that the priests do, actually, in the Old Testament. In First Chronicles 24, the specific assignments of different priest families was assigned by Lot. Two chapters later, the different priest families were assigned gates to keep, again, by Lot. In Nehemiah 10, even the bringing in of wood for the altar, to keep the wood stoked for the altar, was assigned by Lot to different families. And so there are, I believe, three reasons why lots are cast, and I wanted to go through those. Uh, first is to ensure or promote fairness. Most of the instances of what I've uh, given you are for that reason, to promote fairness. And I'll talk to that a little bit later, too. I, I think it does tend to promote fairness. Uh, Proverbs 18, 18 says, Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. And so Solomon wrote that just something as trivial and simple as casting lots can prevent wars, can prevent people from going to war against one another over what is most likely a perceived offense, real or perceived. In... Uh, our culture, we sometimes do similar things. Like, for instance, I remember seeing, I forget if it was a, just a 
a small commercial or a part of a show or something. But two friends had left their work area, and they'd walked down to the break room. And they walked into the break room, and they were each going down to get a snack. And the first one that walked up to the machine said, oh, only one left. And the other guy's like, but I wanted that too. And he said, I'll flip you for it. And so then this guy said, okay. Now, he was first at the machine, right? I mean, he could have said, well, get in line, you know, get his candy. But he thought, well, no, we're friends. We're walking down here. You know, we might as well flip for it. So they flipped for it. Sure enough, he won. So the guy in second place got the candy. But what could the first guy have done? He could have said, I'm here first. But then what happens the next day? The guy behind thinks, well, I'm not going to walk down to the candy machine with that guy. And so, see, even something as trivial as that can begin to separate people, draw people apart. I don't trust you now. You're in it for yourself. You know, you're not even trying to be fair with me. And that's what it means about keeping the mighty apart. Just something as trivial as that can prevent these conflicts. And so I remember uh, a few years ago, I worked with people at, at UP, and there was a big gaggle of them, and they would wander down to the soda machine every afternoon, and they would flip coins. I don't care if there were two, three, four, five of them. They would flip coins, and then... If you weren't in majority, if you were in the minority, okay, so let's say there were five of them. You had three heads, two tails. Now the two guys with tails had to flip in order to determine who would have to pay. And so it was on this one. Now, if it was three and you got two heads and a tail, the tail had to pay. If you got three and you got two tails and a head, the head had to pay. But they just had this kind of fun way. Now, sodas are expensive at these machines, and you might sink five bucks into the machine to buy sodas for everybody. But, you know, it was just a fun way of distributing it. And then one guy would go back to his whiteboard and keep track of it all. So he had, he had weeks and weeks of records of who was getting dinged for these sodas. I don't think I'd do that if I was him, but, you know, you're now not benefiting. You're going to lead to people getting angry with one another. But uh, So anyway, that's one way. It's to promote fairness. A second way. A second way is to decide upon a course of action. And so let me share with you one instance where also we have the Bible doing this. In Acts 1, you have the Peter stand up, the apostles are gathered, and they say the scripture says that the uh, Judas would fall away and he will be replaced. He will be replaced by, and then he said, lots. And so they chose two men who had been with them throughout, and, and they said, I need this. These are the conditions. Two men's names were proposed, and then they drew lots. Now, I don't know if that was necessarily a wise thing for them to do. Perhaps there were differentiators as to, that were better. But at least these men felt this is fair. And let me point out, too, another proverb. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so we know, we know God controls all of this. There is no chance, there is no fate. And so in this instance, they were casting it to God. They were saying, God, you choose between these two. We see no difference between them. That's one way of perceiving it. It's the way I've always perceived it. And actually, biblically, it does say that too. There could also be something else at work, though. These two names were proposed by the other apostles. Someone had to say one name. Someone had to say another name. So now you've kind of got champions. You know, 
Oh, no, I think Matthias should be it. Oh, no, I think the other guy should be it. So doing the lots is a way of fairly ending what could potentially grow into a debate. You don't want to have these 11 voting on it, you know, six for this, five for that. Oh, now there's already divisions. Instead, they just let God decide. And then everybody has to say, well, then God decided. And so ultimately, though, you have to recognize, ultimately, you're casting out of the realm of humans and into the realm of God. And everybody has to be accepting of that fact. So that's the second one, to decide an action. Now, there's another aspect of that, though. See, here you're deciding an action based on what is perceived to be equal options. But what if I were to say, okay, God, if I get doubles on this roll of the dice, I'm going to sell everything I own and fly off to Europe because I've always wanted to go to Europe, right? There are ways in which people abuse this concept of faith and chance and everything being cast into God's hands. And this is the main way. What do you have for me today, God? Boom. What do you have for me today, God? Boom. I know you've done this. I've done it. Most people do. At some time or another, you are so frustrated by your lack of inner peace about something that you decide to do this. You just say, well, God, you do it, you know? And so then you open it up. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. Okay, two out of three. <laughs> right? Right? He wasn't talking to me. You know? Shave your head. No, no. He wasn't talking to me. We're very selective in how we apply this. If we were honest and we were... Do oh, okay. There it goes. All my stuff is now being sold. And I don't even get to go to Europe now. I've got to give it to the poor. So... That's another way of guiding actions. That's not biblical. I think we've all indulged in it to some degree. But, but, yet it is being cast into God's hands, and God often does work wonders with this. So now the third one, and there's a third one, and that is to ascribe blame, and that's the one that we have here. It's where blame is being ascribed to something. Leviticus 16, and this is biblical actually, I, you might not know this, but God has in the Scripture casting lots to ascribe blame, other than in this story with Jonah. Leviticus 16, 7 to 10, you have the story of the scapegoat. And so annually, you have the priests pull out these two goats. The lot is cast. One goes to God. That one is sacrificed. The blood then, the high priest puts his hands in, puts it on the head of the scapegoat, and sends them loose into the mountainside. So see, it's not bad to be the scapegoat. It's better than being the other goat. So that is laying blame, right? Lots are laying blame. But who died? A goat died. Now, it matters to the goat, I know, but it's not a human. So we have to remember humans are higher than goats in God's hierarchy. So now another example, 1 Samuel 14. Saul cast lots to determine blame between first the men of Israel and him and Jonathan, and then he doesn't even cast lots again, does he? He just looks at Jonathan. He's to blame. Can't be me. He's the king. You know, if he's going to cast lots, he casts lots, and it falls to Jonathan. But you can't tell me that if the lot had fallen to Saul that he would have killed himself or had himself killed. No, no. 
Saul wasn't that type of man. But he was willing to do this between them. Now, I'm personally curious as to whether Saul didn't already have a hint that Jonathan had done something. And he, because why did he say, even if it's with mere Jonathan, and why did he have the lot just divided between the men and Jonathan? That's not fair odds, is it? I mean, you got two, and it's a 25% chance, right, that it's Saul or Jonathan. How many men were there? Hundreds, thousands. All those men, I mean, it's minuscule odds. That's not very fair. But again, we structure these things, and we have an ulterior motive in structuring these things. It's not fair. And yet we're the ones that are structuring it. Saul was the one that was structuring it. It inherently wasn't fair. And yet he's going to blame someone based on this unfair attribution of lots. And then we have this one, very similar. And, you know, when I read the book of Jonah, it's just amazing how many other similar stories are tied in throughout Scripture with Jonah. Jonah's like a book that uses uh, illustrations from, like, the rest of the Bible, it seems to me. But so here, in this instance, these sailors say, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Let us cast lots that we may know. Now, that sounds like a sure thing. They sound like they're ready to commit to this. And yet, when they do it, and it falls on Jonah, they seem to have reservations now. Because, see, amongst the sailors, they probably are used to holding one another accountable for this type of behavior. Again, you want to be fair. And so they've probably agreed long ago that this is the a fairest way of doing it. We know something weird is going on. We know God is angry with us. This is not a natural storm. Let's blame somebody. Let's toss them over. Maybe. We don't know that they were going to do that, but what were they going to do? Once they find somebody to blame, what do you do with the person that you're going to blame? But yet, with Jonah... And they say to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then... They said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? Isn't that what the lot decided? Why are they asking Jonah, right? If they had full confidence, they would just say, it's for your reason that the lot fell on you. You're the cause of this storm. But what they were so sure of a minute ago, now they don't seem to be so sure of. They're asking him all these questions. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, of what people are you? That's a question, 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 question. I mean, they want to know what's going on in his life. Now, I have a question for you. With the lots in the story of, of uh, Saul and Jonathan, God had the lots fall according to what was true. Jonathan was the one that Saul wanted to blame. He was the one that had dipped and ate the honey, and he was then going to be killed. But the men stood up and said, no. Oh, and Saul, as soon as he, Jonathan admitted it, Saul said, you know, I'm going to kill you. And the men said, no. God has worked a wonderful uh, uh, salvation through Jonathan today. You can't kill him. So the men stood up to Saul. They would not let him. I mean, and Saul was a bully. It must have been incredibly difficult for them to do this. But they didn't hesitate. Jonathan was a hero. And they, he had saved them. And they were going to defend him. So now here we have the lot fall on, on Jonah, and the men are very cautious. They don't want to bring this to bear upon him. 
They're now doubting this system that they put in place, I think in part because they fear Jonah. It says later that he knew, they knew he was running from God. They're very wary of bringing their own law of the sea to bear on Jonah in this way. And so they ask him all these questions. But again, I ask you, when is it right to cast lots to solve problems like this, to lay blame? There's another instance of this in the Bible. It, it, it actually doesn't get to casting lots, but it's similar because when they found a dead body out in the wild, they would find the closest city, and they would essentially call those elders out and say, this person was killed near your city. You're to blame, so to speak. I mean, they would have to sacrifice animals. They would have to give of their resources to cover over that guilt that's on the land. It, in a sense, it's an instance of this, this laying of blame. So see, we don't lay blame in a careless way via these lots like, like Saul tried to do, like these sailors tried to do. That's not how we solve problems. That's why we are protected from the blood guilt, unless we're proven to be at fault, unless we admit that we are at fault. And Jonah did, only after the lot fell on him. So you can see God orchestrated this. With a faulty system, God orchestrated this truth-telling, finally coming out of Jonah, to admit to them, I'm the reason God sent this storm. I'm the reason that you guys are almost dying out here. And he's finally very honest, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But I just wanted to talk about this whole using of lots to settle issues. It, biblically, when it's used properly, it's very good, it's very fair. It leads to uh, an, a, a lessening of tensions and conflicts, but yet only if it's used properly. So we should use it properly. And again, this uh, method of assigning blame is flawed inherently. God has given us his word. He's given us our wills and our volitions to act upon. And he doesn't let you abdicate your responsibility. You must choose. You must act. It's up to you. Where God has given you liberty, you must exercise that liberty. He's given you reason. You must exercise that reason. And so don't think that you can just cast off and rely upon God. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't think Josh is here today, but Josh had told me, Josh Duff had told me about a show called The Big Bang Theory. And uh, it's about these nerdy scientists. And I happened to see one show where the nerdiest of them all has decided to live his whole life by chance. He won't decide to do anything. He's abdicated all decision-making because he feels it wastes his brain cells. And so he'll roll to go to the bathroom, roll whether he wants to eat this or the roll, 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 roll. And what's funny, what I find totally ironic about that is you've got an unbeliever casting his life entirely into God's lap because he doesn't believe in God. He believes in chance. Well, God doesn't believe in chance. God directs everything that is going on in that guy's life. So it's just a beautiful illustration of the fact that we can't escape God. That's why none of us, well, I shouldn't say this, but it is my, my opinion that none of us will get wealthy by winning the lottery, right? We know that isn't how God's world works. We know that isn't how God wants us to get wealthy. With Christians, he's going to make you work for it. He might let other non-Christians get wealthy through the lottery, but I know God isn't going to have me get wealthy through the lottery, for one, because I, can't, I don't play it. But even apart from that... <laughs> God could, God could arrange that some guy buys a lottery ticket, gives it to me. I find it on the sidewalk. Hey, it's a winner. No, it isn't going to happen. 
that isn't how my God is going to reward me in this life. And I know that. I don't, I don't even uh, have a doubt about that. And that's wonderful because God has a much better plan for you than giving you a whole bunch of money and making you the target of uh, a bunch of villains and having it steal your heart away from him. So now uh, let's use God's means of solving issues. God's lots are appropriate at times, but not in the instance such as this. But yet what is amazing about God is that he will use even this faulty understanding to bring his will about. And he does it to us every day. He uses our faulty understanding of things to work his will in our lives. And it's wonderful. Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you for your blessing us in so many ways, uh, this being one of them. And yet, Lord, you bless us despite our failures. You bless us despite our mistakes. You bless us despite our faulty way of looking at the world. We thank you, Lord. Uh, We are far from perfect, and yet you indulge in all of our many imperfections, and you lead us away from them and have us not bear the consequence of making them. Lord, you are so kind and compassionate. And so we thank you, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, relieve us of guilt and the burden of guilt. And we pray that you would have us to come into your presence with joy, with thanksgiving, with contentment, with peace, with a hunger for knowing you more and more. So now, Lord, please uh, feed us from the bounty of your table and of your will. In Christ's name, amen.